when Kenny Harvey said, Alexander, you should learn the Rainbow Connection. I said, hell yeah. So I'm just sitting here at my piano. It's late at night. This quarantine shelter in place, whatever you call it, wherever you might be, my sleep schedule is off. I have never in years been up this late. I've been staying up till 1231 in the morning. So I've been painting and I've been working on a commission. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to show you my behind the scenes of this commission piece I was hired to do. It's been so challenging. Uh, I'm going to be putting on an IGTV on Instagram soon. I wanted you also to know that on Facebook, Facebook Live, every Sunday for the month of May, it's our May of Mindfulness, and I will be doing recitals, Soul Sibling Sunday, Music and Mindfulness, right from my piano. And if you can't catch it live, you can definitely do the replay. Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. So welcome to episode 119. Oh, good grief. Today, we're talking about grief. So I just have a lot to say because if you listen to the last episode 118, I was talking about belief and practice And I was telling you about my PC pre-corona, January, February. And so today I'm going to read you something from my writings, from my sacred leather travel journal, put my poetry, my truth right in it. And it's something I wrote after I visited my friend Charles at the end of February in Salt Lake. And I think it really just summarizes the grief and the sadness that I was not able to connect with. And so if you haven't listened to 118, it might be interesting to you. Uh, But for today, we're diving deep into the waters of grief. Good grief, people. Good grief. I'll give you a topic. Talk amongst yourselves. The topic we're talking about today is our grief. Have you heard voices? 
says, I've heard them calling my name. Alexander, Mr. Blue, is this the sweet sound that calls the young sailors? The voice that might be one and the same. I've heard it too many times to ignore it. It's something that I'm supposed to share with you. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the virus, the dreamers, and me. La da dee da da dee do. La da da dee da da. Blessed be the fruit. The month has finally arrived. Viral Mindfulness Academy is almost open. And in honor of this exciting event, I have a special offer just for you. Stay tuned. I'm making a commitment to feel the depth of it all. And so every time I meet the delusion, I fall into that human propensity to pretend like to direct what I'm feeling, to pretend I'm feeling something other than I am, I will remind myself, oh, this is that human part of me and I'm here to feel it all, especially the difficult parts. So now that I have come in touch in February through this guided meditation, sitting with difficult emotions, I was able to really connect with my own grief, the compounded grief, and to console myself and to nurture myself. You know, one of the difficult things for me to learn in my 40s was that no one's coming to save me. No one's coming to help. Yes, there are people who will be there to support you, but ultimately, it is my job to save my soul. It is my job to be the steward of my soul. It is my duty to take care of myself. And so another ritual or creative mindful way of exploring feelings or being in touch with them is journaling or writing. And, you know, writing can sometimes get real formal. And so there's a lot of other ways to flip that on its head as well. For example, I write in journals without lines because I found that without lines, plus I have really great handwriting and I can, it's crazy. You've seen some of it. And if you haven't, I'll show you more as I share more about my sketching and my art. And I found that it was really freeing to write on empty pages without lines. You could draw or sketch your feelings, you know, sketching and just kind of doodling and putting down phrases. I also let go of feeling this journaling guilt, this I have to write down everything I'm feeling or doing. And I've learned to be more poetic about it. With poetry, it can be very ambiguous and it can be very um, images and metaphors and the, the, the grammar can be relaxed. And so I'm going to read from you what I wrote 
in my journal, my current journal space, which is sketching poetry, it's more writing about what I'm feeling as opposed to all these details and feeling this pressure to to chronologically keep record of everything. Those are my old religious days, keeping records. So let me read this to you. All right, so I've got my journal open, and I'm actually going to start with something I wrote to you, because I also write my notes for my podcast in this same space. So in here will be sketch, drawings, notes for podcasts, deep spiritual ideas, and poetry, and journaling with things that I'm experiencing, learning, and feeling. So this is from February 1st. So this is in between my visit to Vanessa and Charles. Soul sibling, that's you. So literally, I think about you a lot because I'm here to connect at a heart level. So soul sibling, today is a new day, a fresh start. Think blank canvas and imagine possibility. Now that we've successfully climbed through the new year and January and the holidays are officially behind us, let the pomp and circumstance, the foreboding pressure dissipate and float away. Plant your feet in today. So it's February 1st. No expectations of the future and no regrets of the past. What is the first thing you can do today related to your priorities, to your specific projects, to your work, to your spiritual life? For me, without a direct flowing exchange of attention to the spiritual instinct below the surface of my personality and ego, I don't have a chance. Let me explain. Spiritual solutions to the laundry list of human predicaments is the best way to make sense of the insanity and to find support for the continuous grief. There it is, today's topic, grief, and belief versus practice, which takes us back to the last episode 118. There's a giant ocean between what we believe and what we practice. Float into a trust of action this day to follow the path of practice. Your beliefs are liabilities that keep you separate from others and from the life that's longing to express itself through you this day. Soul sibling, I recently heard a woman, and mind you, an educated religious scholar from Princeton, share her personal story of grief. After losing her six-year-old son and a year later her husband, she wasn't entirely sure the grief she felt would ever subside. During her subsequent process and continued study and seeking of truth, she discovered, tucked in the gospel of truth, the Gnostic Gospels, practice versus belief. Our beliefs, the creed we think, the creed we live by. In fact, she says that the Nicene Creed was developed based off of this. Our beliefs, the creed we think is the path could be replaced with what appears to be a nugget of wisdom and truth hidden in plain sight. What if today, this month, the fresh canvas at our February 1st fingertips could come alive with color and paint and movement, connected to an intentional releasing of our beliefs 
and a courageous commitment to practice. Practice for the next 28 days. Beliefs feel arrogant, separate, and unwilling. Practice feels curious, flexible, compassionate, and honest. So a couple days later, in February, I wrote this. Fucking numbers, numerology, cosmic blessings, yesterday simmering, then enduring an infrared sauna, the final 15 minutes. Few make it there. The final 15 minutes, a quarter of an hour. Heart rate rises, breathing shallow and more difficult. Mind begins to poison presence. Mental constructs of fear, insanity, and anger arise. Vanessa and I are the only ones who sit in here an hour. Two sections arrived in my breathing, chanting and singing as I allowed ceremony, plant medicines, and shamans into my sobriety. Friendship and communion with Vanessa consistently nourishes so many aspects of my psyche. From the taste and sounds of my perceptions, my mind, my vision, and the deep spiritual nature of things. Vanessa is funny, she's smart, sensual, and she loves beautiful. She loves beauty. She is beauty beyond measure, beyond the norm. Her presence refined by fire and the heat of two rounds of different cancers. We're here celebrating 10 years of friendship in this March. So I wrote a second verse to a song, and the second verse is, I will trust and I will drop into the center of my soul. And the third verse is, I will touch the ground of my being. I will touch the numinous ground of presence, the primordial cosmic mirror, and I'll see my reflection. I am the vine. I am the vine, and I have always been the vine. Be the vine, be the centered connection of all that is. And these are new verses to what I originally wrote, which sounds something like this. I will climb, I will climb, I will climb the vine. Through the valley of my soul I will climb. I will climb this day through my grief, through the sadness, through the loss, and through the pain. So that's the first verse. And then the second will be, I will trust and I will drop into the center of my soul. And verse th three will then be, I'll touch the, the ground, the numinous ground, and the cosmic mirror will reflect that I'm actually the vine you are the vine and you've always been the vine. So the last thing to read now for you is the end of February when I had visited with Charles. So at this point, I was very clear on what grief was here. And now I had the authentic vision to mind and take care of myself. So before I get to the Charles Lynn Frost writing, I started with just some poetry and I sketched two of my pen, well, one of my pens and a pencil. Here's the poem. Sometimes morning dances along highways with our soul and expression, dismantling cobwebs of silver linen, spun curiosity, thickens it freezes time manipulates preferences and it encourages gentle gentle mantras 
Fuck, I am especially. When I'm dying from cancer, fuck patriarchy. As I pledge allegiance to the drag, stripped down to bare flesh, barefoot, like a neurologist, walking across the desert floor with Joshua trees, waving their elegant tentacles, polka-dotted yellow blossoms of spring, sun-kissed leather stretched 13 miles. She kneels down where bone bruised, frail, and pleading for a glass of earth. Layers of dirt, sand, tiny fragments of Legos. What if I snapped these separate pieces into a tiny spaceship? I would climb inside and rocket myself to a planet worthy of my music. What? (laughs) I haven't read this. It's so good. Okay, so here's Tuesday, February 25th, 2020. Charles Lynn Frost just spent three days with my friend, mentor, and soulmate. What if Jude, Jay, Charles, Michael, Bryce, my soulmates, partnerships in platonic, Charles is angry that he won't be here to see what Alexander will be doing in 20 years. He's forgetful. He grasps for words and more life. He has trouble sleeping on the good weeks. Bad weeks are directly related to chemo infusion at the cancer center. He sleeps a few hours and is suddenly awake at 2 a.m. thinking about all of this, the weight and the density of it. He wants to see his granddaughter, Demarie, graduate from high school. He's afraid the little grandchildren, at 18 months, will have no memory of Grandpa Charles. He's not afraid to die, he says. He wonders about the physicality of the end, with cancer, the pain, the discomfort. He would like them to be generous with the morphine. He said he'd like to stay at the hospice wing at the center. He'd like to live in a state with liberal end-of-life options. He's planning to send Sister Dottie S. Dixon to Uganda with her husband to serve as missionaries. She'll never return. Rumors will spread. She'll become a chief in a village. She'll be, she's, she'll be choked and die on a chimpanzee bone, a wishbone. Lottie, her cousin, wearing the wig, will begin to tell her stories a fresh drag character with a message for the Mormons, her cousin's son, Donnie. I love Charles. He's one of my favorite friendships. He makes me laugh. His insight and contribution is valuable and relevant. Thank you, Charles. Thank you for all that we've shared. (sighs) Wow. One idea that's really worked for me is to look at this, these feelings. So if we're talking grief, touch it. In order to heal the grief, you have to feel it. You have to become intimate with it. Complete presence with no conclusion about the grief. It's really difficult to do, and the metaphor that I use to give me the I don't know, the magical image is the feather touching the bubble. Like, can I be so attentive to my grief? Can my process and attention be like the feather 
touching the bubble, my grief, and not popping it. And if you think about it, it's impossible, right? A feather's going to pop that bubble. But that's the type of mindful attention and compassion you bring to your feelings. And meeting those feelings with complete presence and feeling them, allowing your body to be the receptor, to be like a frequency, a radio picking up on that station, that bandwidth, allowing to touch it and have no conclusion. One of the most profound times I really noticed that is when I was processing grief around the loss of a dog, Franny, the Chihuahua. She belonged to my brother and his wife, and she was staying with me, and it was an unfortunate situation with a coyote. Eventually, she made it, I made it to her with a big gash in her head, her head open, and she was still alive, and we put her down to sleep maybe 30 to 40 minutes, well, an hour later. I had to gather her up. She was in one piece and I took her in my car and wrapped her and took her to the hospital where I met my brother and my sister-in-law. But many weeks after her passing, I noticed a part of me that was very difficult to look at. And anytime I said it out loud to someone else, they would just dismiss it. And it was that it was guilt. It was guilt around the fact that I didn't do the right things in that moment. I didn't move fast enough. I didn't run the right direction. I didn't get to her soon enough. Um, Any of that. And so when it kept coming into my like being, I would push it away. And so I finally took my own advice because I was studying this and I don't talk to you about things that I haven't experienced myself. So when I was walking on the trail of the wetlands at one point, I realized, okay, let's look at it. So let's meet this grief, guilt, this guilt grief, and let's just touch it. Let's observe it. Let's let it have voice. So I'm like, so what is it saying? I, I didn't do the right things. I, I didn't, I let her down. Eventually it pushed to, I let her down. And so instead of trying to like have a conclusion or a judgment or an assessment or a summary, I just kept letting it feel. And it brought me to my knees on the trail. I remember just weeping for a period of time, maybe a couple minutes, deeply weeping, I let you down. So what does it feel like to let down Franny the dog in that situation? But see, so many other people, including myself, oh, no, 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 you're fine. You did the right thing. There's nothing you could do. There's no way for me to heal this aspect of the grief if I don't give it space to express itself, to be felt, and then to be with me and my higher self, my deeper, wider self, to touch it with compassion and let it just arise on its own and let it spontaneously pass and move on its own. And so then I just let it feel. 
this is what it feels like to let her down. And I cried. And after about a couple minutes of that deep penetrating, that weeping on the ground, the earth at the wetlands, it just stopped. And I just, I just stopped crying and it moved. It passed on its own. And ever since then, the blockage on that guilt and that storyline has been, is, is gone. It, it's, it's not holding the power and the strength. And so I really believe that grief, first of all, has about 10,000 layers to it. There are so many threads to grief. And unfortunately, and fortunately, I suppose, that's, that's the opportunity is grief has a life of its own. It's real and you go through it. And frankly, right now with all that's happening, this is May that I'm recording this, May 6th, 2020. The COVID climate, you know, it right now as we speak, there is so much very ambiguous and and it's difficult to go through this. And so perhaps there is some ideas there are some ideas here for you. There can be something to serve you. One of the most famous models for grief is related to Elizabeth Kubler Ross's work. And I studied her in graduate school when I was studying to be a social worker. Those five stages you're probably familiar with, you've probably heard them denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And from some things I've learned about Elizabeth Kubler Ross and a colleague of hers, David Kessler. Those five stages, every, a lot of us Western people, we try to like, well, which stage, where, like, we, we want everything to be logical and linear. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross simply used these five as a starting place. And, and she often was asked questions that were uncomfortable for her because there's so many different phases to grief. It's not just five it was so became so well known and so helpful that ultimately it was a pathway for people to access their grief well this david kessler he received permission after elizabeth kubler ross they did a lot of work together and they often had many conversations about uh the grief process and if they were to add you know like more stages or a sixth stage and David Kessler is his name, and he actually got permission from the estate, from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's family, to create this book and to actually add a sixth stage to this classic model of five stages of grief. And it's it's the fifth the sixth stage is meaning, finding meaning for your grief. And the book is called Finding Meaning: The Sixth Stage of Grief. And to tell you a little bit about this from his website, it reads, In this groundbreaking new work, David Kessler, an expert on grief and co-author with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross of the iconic On Grief and Grieving, 
journeys beyond the classic five stages to discover a sixth stage meaning. In this book, Kessler gives readers a roadmap to remembering those who have died with more love than pain. He shows us how to move forward in a way that honors our loved ones. Kessler's insight is both professional and intensely personal. His journey with grief began when, as a child, he witnessed a mass shooting at the same time his mother was dying. For most of his life, Kessler taught physicians, nurses, counselors, police, and first responders about end-of-life trauma and grief, as well as leading talks and retreats for those experiencing grief. Despite his knowledge, his life was upended by the sudden death of his 21-year-old son. How does the grief expert handle such a tragic loss? He knew he had to find a way through this unexpected, devastating loss, a way that would honor his son, that ultimately was the sixth stage of grief, meaning. In finding meaning, Kessler shares the insights, the collective wisdom, and powerful tools that will help those experiencing loss. If you want more resources, grief.com has so much um, valuable information. And in fact, there is a live Facebook group that is happening daily led by this David Kessler, I believe. All the details are at grief.com. For me, I have definitely had to well, I've taken the the opportunity to create meaning in my life and my own grief. Um, you know, 17 to 18 years now, I've been working with the HIV virus and so many different arrival points, plateaus, peaks, you know, valleys, the desert floor. And creating meaning in my life creatively has really become a powerful way to process my grief and including what's happening for me right now. I mean, today I was reading to you from this leather bound notebook that I had made in India for a gift last year. And it's refillable with paper. And this is where I, I write and process some of my deep feelings. And so Creating in your life practices, um, for me, piano and painting, all of what you observe as me, the Alexander human, these are all ways for me to have meaning with my grief and my loss. Um, And it's so amazing to be able to take those feelings to the piano and to sing or to write music or to painting. And so many lessons appear in those creative processes for me. So meaning, this brings us to almost March 1st, where I was scheduled to be in spiritual retreat. And that is one of the reasons why every year for the past three years, I go to spiritual retreat. And that is to have a place to learn and practice and for meaning in my life. Because spiritual roots, the spiritual realm, that is the only, well, the most important solution for me. 
And so in the next episode, 120, we're going to talk all about the week before my retreat started and how I had the courage, well, the discipline to sit down and take my teacher's notes, Adi Shanti, and go through the pre-retreat suggestions. And it's amazing what happened in that week prior uh, to the retreat starting. And then, of course, March 1st through March 15th, the world started unfolding with COVID-19. And by the 17th, I think the 19th is when we had a direct order from our governor here in California to shelter in place. So I hope that you'll join me for 120. And it's been such an honor to be with you in this episode. And I thank you for joining me. And if any of this is of service for you, I am tickled and I would love to finish this episode right here, right now, with just a couple minutes of quietude, where we gather our intentions, our feelings, our grief together, and we simply breathe, and we turn towards them, and we observe them, and we integrate what we just talked about and shared together. So, for two minutes... Let's sit in a space of quietude, community, and stillness, and let's befriend our own grief. Bringing your attention back to the space that you're in. May you find the wisdom and strength in your grief. All my love to your next mindful moment, soul sibling. I'll see you next time on the podcast.